stall but uh s model can't or is not likely to no it's 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 everything prior to the mic model oh the mic model yeah you want to talk about that no not really okay welcome to the spread aviation podcast i tricked you i've been recording this entire time <laughs> swag 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 what's actually kind of funny is i was gonna start the episode by saying the word swag swag and i was gonna i was gonna get you man when did you start recording how long ago right about the time you were like you want to talk about the r model oh everything with the mic compared model. To the- well now we have to talk about that because people yeah. are gonna be like well that's why i tuned in so uh, uh swag if you look at a cessna 172 uh, wait, where, are we starting with swag? Starting are we starting with, with one seventy two tail stalls? Swag is the most important part of the Okay, so if you go to spreadaviation.com like a good listener would and does uh, up at the top right hand corner, you're going to see a green, uh, green orange. It's That's orange. That's yeah, very orange. I'm not colorblind. Uh, very orange button that says swag. You click on that and we have t-shirts, mugs, pullover jackets for uh, mild weather. They're a, a windbreaker style as well as for the cold weather. We got sweatshirts and hoodies. Why do they call it a sweatshirt? It's a hoodie. It's a hoodie. Anyway, we got those available on the Spread Aviation website. Check those out. Uh, looks like uh, orders placed after November 22nd, 2023 with standard shipping are not guaranteed to arrive before December 26th, 25th. So beware. I don't know when this episode is actually going to get out. So maybe this. I'm pretty sure it's already the new year, Rob. No, it's it not. Probably, this is the last episode of the year. It might be. Yeah. Do you think this one's the last one? Last episode of the year. All right. Fair enough. So it's already, I mean, at this point, Christmas is next week. So. Oh, you think we're going to get it out that soon? Why not? Sweet. Well, I mean, hey. Every two weeks, buddy. You got to do it. Two weeks. Yeah. Two Whew. a month. Let's do it. Let's, two weeks. Let's bring back the cadence. How long will you be staying with us on Mars? <laughs> two weeks. <laughs> yeah. and do you have any fruits or vegetables? Two weeks. Does anybody know the movie? Do you know, do you know no, the movie? No, I don't know the movie. Okay, that's the question. If you know the answer to which movie I'm referring to here, send us uh, your response at uh, hello at spreadaviation.com or get on our Instagram. Get on Instagram. Send us a message over there. And uh, yeah, if you know what movie two weeks is from. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, what were we talking about? Swag. Uh, yeah, we were talking about swag. So get your spread aviation swag. Uh, we always talk about our socials. So we get this, the, the YouTube followers and the Instagram followers, but you know, never really mention the swag. So yeah, we don't. And surprisingly, blue, no sales. The blue, <laughs> the, the blue button at the top right hand corner of the. It's not blue. It's, it's orange. It's orange. <laughs> All right. Uh, you asked the question our model when I ambushed you. Mike model versus Sierra model. So, uh, yeah, let's let's talk about that. So I remember when I first started flying the 172 uh, during my lessons, people would say, oh, our model, S model, you're good. But avoid slips with flaps extended is the placard on the flap handle. Of the Mike model. No, no actually on all of that. Everything after the H model. Okay. As far as I know, it's the H model. Might be the K model. Yep. Why is that? That is because tail stalls. Dum, dum, dum. Dum, dum, dum. Tail stalls. So stalling the horizontal stab. Nose drops, but you actually have to pull. Nose drops, but your recovery is to pull. Yeah. So it looks like a stall, but it's not. And actually, the yoke will be pulled out of your hands. You may, prior to the tail stalling, feel a buffet, a, a, a tugging on the yoke as the center of pressure moves back to the hinge of the elevator and the the elevator tries to get sucked into this low pressure uh that is holding the uh, uh holding the tail down because remember that the the horizontal stab is an inverted airfoil and it 
creates downforce to hold the nose up. Mm-hmm. Right? But this placard exists on the Cessna 172 because early days of 172s, you had 40 degrees of flaps. And you had a non-existent or very small dorsal before the vertical stab on the back of the 172's empennage. And so what this combination of low stability uh, and big old barn door flaps resulted in is if you were entering a slip with the flaps extended, you would actually block airflow to the rudder side, whichever rudder you're displacing, rudder side uh, horizontal stabilizer, and that would move the angle of attack to an extreme, causing the center of pressure to move and uh, move to the hinge point, which would grab the uh, uh, grab the the elevator and cause you to experience a, a nose down force at the same time as the tail letting go of the air and stalling on that side. And so uh, uh, you would get the symptoms of an aerodynamic stall with the nose going down. But your recovery, instead of being to push, would be to neutralize the rudder, pull back on the yoke to reattach the airflow to the to the elevator. And generally, this was happening on uh, approach to landing, so you'd need to go around out of that out of that condition. Um, but the tail of the 172 has gone through a variety of redesigns over the years, um, where they started adding dorsals and bigger and bigger dorsals. Uh, to the, the the leading edge of the vertical stab, and if you look on a mid seventies, late sixties, one seventy two, you may see a small dorsal that's about fourteen inches uh, long, and that's a little bit of a change. That's a little bit of increased stability uh, on the on the uh, around about the vertical axis of the aircraft. So you can't get to slip angles that would induce the uh, the tail stall. But you still had 40 degrees of flap. So under certain loading conditions, it was possible still to get the get the 172 tail stall up until around the P model. They standardized the bigger dorsal that goes all the way from the vertical stab uh, to darn near forward of the ELT antenna. It's a very long dorsal. And so that uh, increases the stability, prevents you from getting to side slip angles that would block airflow as well as the standard uh, Cessna 172 flat position being reduced to 30 degrees instead of 40. So now you don't have as much airflow being blocked uh, behind the wing, uh, along the empennage, and you don't have the authority, the rudder authority, to get two side slip angles that would cause that tail stall. Uh, The last normal 172 that I was able to get to demonstrate the symptoms of a tail stall was the mic model uh and then the 172 rg is also capable of getting out to some of those side slip angles not sure what makes the rg special because it's basically got the same big dorsal and uh um 30 degrees of flaps but maybe it's the loading on the airplane is a little bit uh, a little bit different and i have been able to get them to demonstrate a little bit of that that yoke tugging uh, and it's quite unnerving quite unnerving when it happens are there any other situations like this in other types of aircraft uh where people might say oh you know i flew the sr20 and you know there's no, there's only something you might experience in the sr22 but not the sr20 like little things like this that 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 exist in other aircraft well that people should be looking out for i mean obviously 
obviously there's a lot, right? Yeah, yeah. But 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 when you think about like the difference between a a, a mic model and a, and a Sierra model of a of a one seventy two, when you think okay, tail stall is potential in one and not as high potential in the other. Like, are there little little things like that that pilots might not think of when they're transitioning from different models of the same airplane? Well, if you look at any aircraft design, if there's stuff hanging out into the airflow that is any kind of stabilizer, it's a Band-Aid. It's a Band-Aid for some kind of performance malady in some flight regime um, that is undesirable. So uh, the Challenger's have vortolons underneath the wing and they help to increase stability uh they help to keep airflow attached they uh, actually create vortices behind the wing that that helps to energize the uh, the downwash and so at high angles of attack uh, that wing is operating a little bit more efficiently which all these airplanes are operating at high very right. high altitudes very high density altitudes and very high angles of attack because of it. And so anything that you can do to energize that airflow and keep it attached to the wing increases efficiency. Would you put winglets in the same category? Not necessarily, but winglets have um, winglets are majorly uh, a performance enhancer. Um, you wouldn't call them a Band-Aid. You'd call them something that was... They're a, they're a performance tool, yeah. Uh, but the strakes on the tail of a Learjet that kind of come down at a, well, not not quite a 45-degree angle, but that hang off the tail, that's a stability-adding uh, tool. Guess what else has that? Cirrus Vision Jet. Okay, so yep. there's also a little flight control on the back of there, too, and that's a V-tail aircraft, so there's all kinds of stuff going on there. But uh, we can point to a lot of these these uh, things hanging off the sides of airplanes and just go, those are a Band-Aid for something somewhere. The, uh, the Diamonds... Uh, they have a very, very skinny empennage. It's like a tube back there. Well, that doesn't give you any lateral stability. So what's on what's underneath the vertical stab? There's another little strake down there. And that's just to increase surface area and keep the thing from from uh, duck walking across the sky or what some people would call Dutch roll, which is, I mean, it, it pretty much is. But Dutch roll is mainly a, something that happens in swept wing aircraft. So... Um, there's all kinds of different little tools and things that go into the airplanes uh, and fly-by-wire aircraft can eliminate a lot of those things. But if the, if the computer fails, you don't want an aircraft that you can't control. Like an F-16, if the computer fails uh, for the flight control system, you are bailing out of that airplane. It is, not, it is unstable by design. It will not stay flying. Now, so uh, there's lots of little things like that on on uh, these GA airplanes that are designed to make them fly friendly, and that's the whole reason. And you can watch the design design evolution of the 172 and and just look at how that that dorsal fin increased in size. And the early 172s had a not quite a funnel empennage, but like there wasn't a back window. The empennage just expanded to the same size as the fuselage and just blended in nice and smooth. Now you got a back window that tapers down into a nice and skinny empennage. So like there were, there's differences in, in how that performance, uh, how that design changed and then changed the stability and the handling characteristics of the airplane, making the dorsal necessary because they reduced that area. You know how kids sometimes say, but why? And then you say, and then, but why? And then you say, but why? I'm going to throw one of those at you mm-hmm. right now that is a completely uneducated question, but I am curious. Let's say, uh, you know, you're, you were flying straight and level and you roll into a 90 degree bank, like an aerobatic airplane, whatever. Is there, a, is there a way to potentially induce a stall on an airplane with the vertical stabilizer or the, uh, or the rudder at that point? Oh, like, so 
Like I'm thinking here, like all these different surfaces that can, can that can cause stalls, and I don't know. I'm just <laughs> yeah. like, is that is that possible anywhere, or uh, is it even a valid question? <laughs> no, it's a it's a valid question because at 90 degrees, um, your wing is no longer the surface area, the surface that is maintaining your altitude, and so you are using the fuselage, and the rudder is now your elevator, quote unquote. Right. The so is there, is there a way doing. where like you'd have stall recovery by? It, stopping on the right rudder or something. Well, I mean, just... if you have a powerful enough rudder to get your fuselage to an angle of attack to where the airflow separates from the top of it and, and it's no longer producing any kind of lift, like, yeah, that's a possibility. And your your fix for that is just to relax the rudder that you applied because the aircraft only stalls when we, the pilot, command it to stall by control, uh, 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 control surface input. Um, so at 90 degrees... If you're pulling on or pushing on the elevator, you're turning, mm-hmm. but you are not making any kind of vertical component of lift, and that airplane will also be going down. Uh, so if you pay attention to an air show, if there's an aircraft doing a knife-edge pass, they will generally set it up with a nose-up pitch first, then a roll to 90, and then they'll hold that top rudder. And it's potentially possible if you have an effective enough control surface to get that uh, fuselage beyond the critical angle of attack to stall it, yeah. Um, generally, we see uh, in the aerobatic world during a maneuver called the roller where we will apply too much rudder, but we're also rolling and pitching throughout that maneuver. It's a rolling turn. And so we're using all three control surfaces throughout in order to keep a continuous rate of turn uh, while keeping a continuous roll rate and not being in attitudes that allow us to turn. So, like, we're yawing through the wings level portion. We're skidding through the wings level portion. And a lot of times there, if we start to load the uh, angle of attack and the elevator too too soon or too aggressively, we'll stall the wing that is retreating as we're yawing it. So the inside wing and the aircraft will kind of snap roll. And in competition, that's a hard zero. So you have just gotten a zero score for that figure. You're going on to the next one. Uh, you still have to kind of finish and get yourself back on heading, but yep. like that wasn't me stalling the fuselage. That was me stalling the retreating wing. Mm-hmm. That's all that was. So um, I don't know if I answered your question. No, you did. Uh, I really you know, ranted there. When we're in Museum of, it's funny when we're at, when we were at Museum of Flight, they had the little thing where they had the streamers on the wing, and you could turn the yeah the, the tufts the knob the tufts tuft. I'd, uh, I'd, I'd, I'd be curious if, if if you were to build one of those with a. With a airplane that is in a ninety degree bank, and throw those on the side of the empennage, and do the same thing. Would they ever actually start flowing and then stop? And yeah, or, or I bet that they would. They would reach a critical angle of attack. Airflow would separate. Yeah, that's crazy. That that would be an awesome experiment. Um, now I got to build a wind tunnel. Thanks, <laughs> right, man. Right, we got to do that. <laughs> Give Peter a call. Hey, Peter, got it? Yeah, Peter, you got access to a wind tunnel? Yeah. Um, all right. Well, uh, swag. Swag. So, you know, spreadaviation.com. We, we did that. and that, No, I know. But we there is one thing we forgot before this episode stalls. Uh, <laughs> there is something that is really important, Rob. Is We've got a sponsor, got Mike Golan Aviation. Yeah. <laughs> I was hoping that was where you were going. Yeah, let's, so, yeah we're not going to bash the Cirrus is too bad because Mike Golan Aviation, Cirrus School at Hanscom, uh, is a proud sponsor of the Spread Aviation Podcast. And let's take a second to listen to that. Embark on your aviation journey with Mike Golan Aviation. With over 30 years of experience, owners Michael and Karen Goulian bring unparalleled experience to flight training, Cirrus aircraft management, and aircraft maintenance. They don't just teach you to fly, they help you integrate flying into your daily life. 
Mike Gulian Aviation paves the way for you to learn or polish your flying skills in the most advanced general aviation aircraft to the fullest. They can help you discover how to enjoy the Cirrus life with its comprehensive programs using Cirrus learning materials for thorough and safe flying. Mike Gulian Aviation only uses the latest generation of Cirrus aircraft, all of which have multiple safety and comfort features for both the pilot and passengers. Michael and Karen started this company to offer something not available to pilots in New England, a place to enjoy aviation with the newest aircraft, expert instruction and mentorship, ownership guidance, and a solid foundation of learning and safety. Many of their customers rent their aircraft for trips all over the U.S. and Canada. All of Mike Gulian Aviation's instructors go through the rigorous Cirrus CFI training program, and they're considered the experts in Cirrus aircraft in New England. Enjoy its locations in Bedford and Plymouth, Massachusetts, as well as in Laconia, New Hampshire. All of the Mike Gulian Aviation aircraft are the latest Generation 6 model of the Cirrus aircraft. When you start flying a Cirrus, you don't just fly it, it becomes part of your life. And Mike Gulian Aviation welcomes you to join them in the adventurous Cirrus life. Uh, well, we're back. Hey, yeah, that was uh, excellent. Yeah, uh, Mike Gulian Aviation. Check them out. Give them a call. Give them a look. If you're in the if you're in the Bedford area or uh, Plymouth, Massachusetts, or Laconia, New Hampshire, uh, check them out for all your serious needs. Yeah, thanks again, Mike. Thank you. Uh, you're looking something up. I am. I was. You mentioned the uh, the video from uh, from the Museum of Flight. Or yeah. You mentioned the Museum of Flight, and I was like. Yeah. How do I find that video? And I forgot how to navigate YouTube all of a sudden. So, uh, yeah, let's see. When would, when did we we did that back in February? And then I released in May, May fifth. So, Museum of Flight with Matt and Rob, and uh, special guest Will Keefe, who was a uh, one of my first students. And uh, that's uh, that's available on YouTube. Just search uh, Museum of Flight on our Spread Aviation channel. Good amount of views already. Great. Yeah. Well, we uh, could always use more. Yep, hundred um, percent. So you started talking a little bit about some. Uh, some some aerobatic moves. You mentioned the hammerhead, and uh, I know. did not mention the hammerhead. Sorry, you mentioned <laughs> you mentioned knife edge. No, I mentioned the roller. Yeah. You mentioned knife edge. Yeah, um, and so you know what's really funny is that um, you know a question that I've seen come up a lot is you know what is actually a hammerhead, and I I'm wondering if you were to ask the average student or private pilot to describe what a hammerhead is. It's how type it of works. shark. It's gray, leathery skin. <laughs> it's got a very broad. Uh, head eyes on the side. Yeah, you know what? Side comment: We're doing a lot that doing a lot of that today. If you're ever in Chicago, check out the Field Museum. Oh, it's fantastic! It is absolutely fantastic, and it's next to uh, the former site of Miggs Field. Yeah, it is exactly. So yeah. you can go go to the park there. And Tower's still walk there. Walk around. Tower's still there. Um, and cry. But the the curse the, Mayor Daly. The right. <laughs> right. Uh, Bulldozing the runways, yeah. making people take off from the taxiways. Uh, also, kind of America. <laughs> once, once in a while, I'll be I'll be out and I'll I'll you know bump into somebody who's a pilot in Chicago, and that's probably one of the first things I ask him is, "Hey, did you ever fly out of there, into there, and what was it like?" And you know, surprisingly, it was pretty popular. I mean, it, not surprisingly, but it, it was a pretty popular field. There's a lot we're of on a that, tangent of a tangent right now. <laughs> have a lot of good stories. Yeah, hammerhead, right. hammerhead. <laughs> so anyway, uh, the reason I well the reason I was mentioning the the field museum was because you mentioned hammerhead, mm-hmm. and they have. The 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 journey Wait, shed aquarium isn't the, the shed aquarium shed aquarium there? right there too yeah okay. the, the 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 journey of life when they start from basically like billions and billions of years ago to now and just have the, how they have all of the they've got some shark skeletons that like are actually pretty scary looking you're looking at it like oh man that's 
anyway. Megalodon. Yeah. Really worth looking at. Really worth checking out. Um, are, they, right. are they sponsored? No, no, not a sponsor. We uh, should get them to be a sponsor. Ignore everything we just said about the Field Museum. <laughs> Hammerheads. Hammerheads. I suppose it's called a hammerhead because when the aircraft is on a vertical upline, it kind of looks like a hammerhead. It okay. looks like the head of a hammer. I don't know. I don't know where it got its name from, but uh, the hammerhead, to describe it, uh, the aircraft is placed on a vertical upline, and as it runs out of speed, uh, before you lose rudder effectiveness, you apply full rudder and uh, ailerons to oppose any kind of roll that would be coupled from that yawing and the aircraft yaws about its vertical axis 180 degrees to now point vertically down and now it drives back at the ground before either a pull or a push to to level flight or maybe a follow-on maneuver on a 45 or something like that but uh, as a maneuver a lot of people uh, have historically referred to it as a stall turn about to say does the aircraft ever stop flying technically no and the reason that it doesn't technically stop flying is because there's no angle of attack. There's no loading on the wing. So there's the wing is doing no work. So how can you stall something that's not doing any work? You're on the vertical upline. What's the airplane hanging on? The propeller. Yeah. You're, you're set at zero angle of attack for our aerobatic symmetrical airfoils. So since the airplane only stalls when you exceed the critical angle of attack, the airfoil only stalls when you exceed the critical angle of attack. If you're at zero AOA, you can't also be at 18 AOA. Like you cannot have the two things exist at the same time, but there's still a relative wind. There right? is a relative wind 100%, but lift, the, the AOA is zero lift required also has to oppose weight. And mm -hmm. if we're in a vertical upline, there is no weight acting opposite the direction of lift. So we may be creating lift, but we're creating equal amounts of lift on the top and bottom of the wing at the same time. So those lift vectors are canceling each other out. Otherwise, the airplane would be continuing to pitch or translate along its vertical axis to the side like it was being slewed in Microsoft Flight Simulator when you pressed Y and you bumped your controls around. But there's no lift on the wing. It's not doing anything. But the ailerons would still be effective. Ailerons are still effective. Runner and they would, would still be effective. They would create differential lift, which would result in rolling. And often there is a, a roll element added to the up and down line. But when you're actually on a vertical, you're also on the zero lift axis. You're not making any with the wing. Now, if you no net, anyway. if you apply back pressure there, now you increase now you the increase amount of lift. The you increase the angle of attack, yep. and you uh, could potentially then. Uh, stall if you pull back too far but in the hammerhead mm. you're driving the thing up vertical you're at full power and the airplane does a lot of really neat things to talk to you and each airplane talks to you a little bit differently and a little more effectively or less effectively than than the other but as you are going vertically the airspeed is decreasing um, any kind of control inputs may start to get mushier any kind of uh, Turning tendencies are going to start to have a bigger and bigger effect on the aircraft as the stability goes away with a decrease in relative wind, with a decrease in airflow. Um, and the airplane will talk to you because the spiraling slipstream is still coming off the propeller. And the faster you're going, imagine that spiraling slipstream as a slinky. The faster you're going, the more stretched out it is and the more space there is between those, those uh, spirals. But as you get slower and that propeller's still up there, engines turning 2,700 RPM, as you slow down, 
the space between those spirals gets tighter and tighter and tighter. And now you start to feel the aircraft getting this tighter and tighter, tighter, tighter spiral. And you can actually feel it moving up the empennage of the aircraft. And then the decathlon, if I'm in the front seat or the back seat, it's a little different. But when it's like right behind my butt, my butt that's when I want to kick the rudders. And there's that little bit of rumble. There's a little bit of magic happening in there. But the rudder is still effective because it's sitting in the prop wash. So you start that pivot. So as the aircraft pivots about its vertical axis. Pivot. 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 <laughs> the, let's say it's a hammerhead to the left. The left wing will be retreating. The right wing will be advancing effectively slowing down the left wing and accelerating the right wing. So as far as lift production is concerned, now they're at two different velocities. And the aircraft may try to start to roll during that pivot. So we apply opposite aileron, a little bit of right aileron, to try and keep that wing from, uh, from continuing to uh, roll, to raise. And in doing so, we keep that pivot nice and straight and pure. Uh, if we didn't put those aileron inputs in it's possible that the aircraft could now be translating on two axes and you end up on your back inverted and yawing and maybe loaded negatively so now you are upside down negatively loaded at very slow airspeed with a bunch of left turning tendencies acting on the aircraft that's already yawing to the left and you may find yourself in an inverted spin so no bueno we don't want to do that but the standard uh, aileron inputs, uh, stick inputs during the hammerhead, our stick goes right, stick goes forward and right, and then stick goes to neutral as the nose yaws through the horizon and then continues on its way to the vertical down. That stick forward and right uh, portion is where we could find ourselves uh, in an inverted stall with that yaw. And we know that a spin is stall plus yaw. So now we've got the ingredients for an inverted spin. So that's one of the one of the failure modes for a uh, for a hammerhead. If we botch it, we could find ourselves in an inverted spin. I've only had it happen to me a handful of times. Most of them were intentional. What's the recovery there? Uh, so there you want to go power idle, aileron's neutral, rudder opposite, and then elevator instead of pushing like we normally would for an upright spin. You're going to want to give it a little bit of pull. Most of these aerobatic airplanes, you can go to the center and it'll fix itself. Uh, you may find that you, uh, for the decathlon, you may have to get a little bit of uh, positive AOA on it, wait for it to stop rotating. Neutralize the controls, roll wing level, pitch for VUI, and add your power, start your climb again, and uh, get back out of there and come back and try it again uh, later. And uh, another key to this, too, is to always practice these things at a high enough altitude that uh, if you do have a botch like that, you got room to recover. Right. Would you say a hammerhead is an advanced maneuver? No, it's no. actually uh, one of the four fundamental maneuvers. Okay. Oh, so what are the four? The four fundamental maneuvers are spin, loop, roll, and hammerhead. Everything else that we do in aerobatics is just those four cut up in combination with each other. So you want to add difficulty to a maneuver. Um, so what's a knife edge? Knife edge is just a roll. I rolled 90 degrees. Mm, yep. There I am. Yep. And the techniques and, and control inputs that I use in the slow roll technique uh, are the same things I would use when I was in uh, a knife edge flight. I would just be holding whatever the snapshot of, uh, of what was required at that point if I was doing a full roll was with the exception of the aileron. So the aileron would be neutral. Everything else would still be there. And uh, that's the beauty of 
aerobatics is we really just cut apart rolls and loops to make new figures. We add horizontal spins called snap rolls to make new figures on 45 lines or vertical lines or level lines. And um, the hammerhead is in itself, you know, it's, it's, we add rolls to the uplines, we add rolls to the downlines in combination uh, to make that maneuver what it is. But it's two quarter loops, it's a quarter loop up, drive it straight, run it out of speed, hammerhead, pivot around, and then a quarter loop to exit. Mm-hmm. That's a hammerhead. Mm-hmm. It's just pieces and parts of all these other figures. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do. I'm going to attempt this once. Okay. And if the question comes out completely botched, we can just move on. But I, I have a question. I just don't know if I can translate it from my brain into words. Cool. Uh, you were telling me that the plane never stops flying, right? There's a relative wind. Sure. It doesn't stop flying, but the wings are not producing any lift. No net lift. No net lift. Oh, okay. No net lift. So somebody like me is thinking, all right, well, you've you've taught me a plane can, can stall at any speed, right? Mm-hmm. Like Any speed, any attitude. Any attitude, any situation, right? So I'm thinking, all right, you're, you're, go- you're going straight up in the sky, yes. right? And, you know, so if you were to do a similar maneuver in straight and level flight, mm-hmm. but just bring the net lift of the wings down to zero, which you can do, right? Yes. Well, yeah. Uh, could, could, you Same anyway. could, you, could you technically do like a modified hammerhead in straight and level? Like what, it, what is it about going straight up that... Is, is it the fact that gravity eventually takes over? And then that's what's... Where, it, but the airplane is, never stops flying, right? So it's, Where is your gravity while you're going straight up? Behind it's, you. It's straight behind you. Straight so behind drag you. and gravity are in line. Yes. There's no force acting through your head. There's no force acting through your feet as you're going up. Right. They're all canceled. They're all neutralized. Yep. If we were in pitch attitude level, where would gravity be? below you it'd be through our feet through our feet yeah so if i set zero aoa and the wing is making zero lift i am now on a parabolic down at the accelerating at the rate of at the speed of gravity um on the way down and there's not an opportunity to get the airplane to an air speed with that combination uh, of forces acting on what it that would a allow really me to really powerful engine but it doesn't matter <laughs> yeah. about the engine at that point you would have to thrust vector it Okay. So you could do it with thrust vectoring, and I'm um, trying to think of uh, the SU-57 kind of does it, like the Cobra maneuver, um, but like not in our little aerobatic airplane. Yeah. So you'd have to create a force along those same axes that we don't have in attitude-level flight, because you wouldn't be level anymore. You'd be descending. Yep. Make sense? Yes, it does. 80%. And then I'll, when I listen to the episode, the other horrible 20%. Horrible questions get horrible answers. No, that was a great... I thought it was a oh, If you think I'm full of it, send an email to hello at spreadaviation.com. We haven't heard from a lot of you in so long, and that's our fault. Swag. Swag. Uh, all right. Well, cool. Anything else on, on Hammerheads? Uh, I love them. They're my favorite maneuver. Yeah? They're my favorite. I love them so much. Um, I thought falling leaves were your favorite maneuver. Nah, because I in aerobatics. And is falling leaf not a core maneuver? Is that really just a combination of a stall and a, a com- uh, falling leaf is just a sustained stall. Sustained stall. That's all it is. Just like a just like knife edge is, is sustained uh, uh, flight roll. Sustained not roll. on the wings. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Interesting. You're on the fuselage. Interesting. That I never really knew there were four like 
Core four, four fundamental maneuvers, yeah. Fundamental maneuvers of, maneuvers of aerobatics. That's awesome. Well, you need to read Mike Gillian's book called Basic Aerobatics, All available right. from somebody press. Uh, get it on Amazon. <laughs> uh, all right, so moving on. Uh, so actually, uh, this kind of seg- segues us into uh, a question that I had, which is around designing your aerobatic routines. And, you know, do you build your own routines? Uh, are they built for you? Is there, you know... I mean, maybe I'm not allowed to ask this, but like somebody like Mike Goulian, for example, is he building his own routines? Are they being built for him? Uh, how do you sequence maneuvers for safety, performance, and spectacle? And, and, and you know, how do you make that all work? Yeah. Uh, in the International Aerobatics Club and FIA World's uh, Federation Aerobatique Internationale, or I don't know what it actually stands for, but in our sanctioned competitions, anything above sportsman level so there's five levels primary sportsman intermediate advanced and unlimited so primary is the the, the lowest tier yep. okay uh intermediate advanced and unlimited you are required to design a free program it's of your own making it's whatever figures you want with some elements things that have to be there spins snaps depending on the category um tail slides and in, in unlimited like there are required figures that you have to have in there but other than those you can make whatever sequence you want up to the point value limit for your category so a lot of people will use a other people's old freeze and some of those are designed with uh the max number of figures but they're all very low difficulty so you can get high percentages. Everything's scored out of 10. So right. if you get a 10, your difficulty score is multiplied by 10, and that becomes your score for that figure. And then the scores all get added up at the end, and that's your total score. A lot of people score, on average, 7s and 8s. So if you had a, uh, a 10K or 10 difficulty figure, if you got a 7 on it, well, seven times that difficulty of 10, you got 70 points out of a possible 100. Math's real easy there. I'm doing that on purpose because mm-hmm. this is live radio. <laughs> and so 70% would be your average on uh, on that. So the variety of tactics on sequence design are lots of low value or a couple high value. Okay. Once you start adding difficulty, that same seven maybe out of 200 points okay so now i got a 140 whereas the next guy got 70 now that seems like you have the benefit but everybody's capped at say 3,000 points so you're trying to get the most out of your figures in that 3,000 points so they're not they're not giving you instructions that say you need to do you know three knife edge two hammerheads like it's it's about it's about kind of categorizing everything together yeah yeah <laughs> you okay i'm fine the cat's claws are sharp <laughs> we're both trying to keep a straight face this is the catch matt failed not me i didn't break uh, uh yeah i i just I there broke, are but. some required maneuvers but everything else is up to you so i mean would there be any benefit for example to you know between this maneuver and this maneuver i'm gonna throw in a, a forward slip like well, it's not an aerobatic figure, but I, I know. I see I'm, what just, you're saying. I'm just saying, like, are there 
actually no. I'm purposefully I'm purposefully not picking up an aerobatic figure. I'm saying, oh. are there are there any benefits to just throwing in stuff? No. or a right turn, you, or you would get a zero for whatever the next figure was supposed to be. That you just did something that was not it. But you can't put something in like that. There's you no arrested figure for, for that. So okay, what, okay, what, okay. what would be the purpose of a slip at that point? What would you be trying to do as a pilot? I, I would just be saying more about what they're watching from the bottom, right? Like, you can kind of see that from the ground. I mean, I didn't. again, it's like, is it part of the show? Is it? Oh. Is it about no, the competition no. and the pilot skill, right? Now, now, a slip, you could be trying to lose altitude pretty quickly, okay. right? It's so, a violation. It's a violation. It's a violation. Okay. Okay, but basically energy management yep. is where you're – I'm leading you with this. Yeah. Um, so f- sequence design, what a lot of folks do is they will start uh, high energy. So they're diving into the box. They're wing-wagging. They're building up a ton of speed. And then they'll do a figure that turns all that speed into altitude. And now they're at a low speed. So they can do a, now a figure that starts low speed – turns all that altitude back into energy like a spin. So you'll do your spin, set the vertical down line, drive, get a bunch of speed, and now you pull out level at the bottom, and now you have a ton of energy for the next maneuver. Well, you wouldn't want to put a low-energy maneuver after that high-energy maneuver yep. uh, or high-energy exit because now you got to pull the throttle back and try to slow it down, and you only have a 1,000-meter box to do this stuff yep. in. Well, that also lends to we have an upwind and a downwind side of the box. And so when I'm flying into the wind, I may try to pack three figures into that leg. But then when I do the 180 and turn around to come back and now I've got the tailwind, I'm only going to put two figures on that portion. And so there's tactics in managing that energy, managing that box position, and making sure that maneuvers flow into one another, even though there's no grading criteria for flow. uh, If you're eating up the entire box to slow down for a next maneuver, you have done a poor job of designing your sequence. So your transition from maneuver to maneuver, I hate to say, I hate to use the word as fast as possible because in aviation as fast as possible is never really good. But your transition from, let's say, maneuver A to maneuver B is really about just what do I need to get from A to B? Yeah. And um, and not adding anything else in there for show or anything like or that. Or repositioning just, the box. Yeah. No, yeah. this is not a freestyle like a an air show performance, it's a freestyle in a figure skating performance. Yep. And that's really what, what air, competition aerobatics is. The judges know what you're supposed to fly. It's your job to make the airplane do what's on the paper. It's the judge's job to find all the spots where you didn't do that. And there's unfortunately some judges who just, they can't give a score lower than a seven because either they can't count that high or they can't actually see the figures. But that doesn't separate somebody who flew a hammerhead really well from somebody who didn't fly it very well. If they flew the hammerhead very well and they still made two mistakes and they got an eight on it and the next guy comes along and flies the hammerhead and flies it very poorly, but only gets a seven, they only lost 10% to that person in front of them. Uh That doesn't spread out the field at all. And it doesn't help the competitor who didn't fly it better get better. So like, oh, I'm flying it like this right now, and it's worth a seven. I'm happy with that. Yep. That's great. Yep. When it should be a two, and they should be going, what did I do wrong, and how do I make it better? So as a judge with very good eyesight, I got 2010 and 2015. Nice. I am trying to find the flaws and the faults. I'm trying to find where they can do it better. 
And then if they feel like talking to me afterwards, which they generally don't, because I got to give them a low score, <laughs> you know, they don't want to talk to me. <laughs> I'll be like, hey, yeah, this is what I saw. This is how you fix it, which is where my experience as a flight instructor is different from a critiquer. A critiquer can tell you what you did wrong. A coach can tell you how to fix it. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I do as a flight And instructor. a DPE can't do either. And a DPE can be like, yeah, well, uh, I don't know what you're doing right there. Uh, yeah. Surprisingly, I do know a handful of aerobatic guys who are, are DPEs, which is pretty cool because we, we have, uh, uh, I think, a, a much more calm, cool demeanor when a spin is about to develop and we're sitting there watching it. Oh, this is this is going to this is gonna be interesting. See how mm-hmm. they do. You know? mm-hmm. um, but, like, I was – I had a spin start on a check ride and – just kind of looked over to evaluate what the person was going to do and see how they fixed it. It was already a fail. Like, it was going to be a failure. I'm not telling them right there, like, you have failed while they're trying to recover from the spin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, uh, okay. And I know how far I can take it. I yeah. know how far I can let them go before I need to take control. And, I, and I'm going to fix it effectively and immediately right. with minimal loss of, of altitude and threat or anything like that, especially if they, uh, if they are doing the incorrect things. And so... Uh, uh, I think uh, having the aerobatic experience, uh, I'll take things deeper uh, into the flight envelope that can give a fair evaluation to uh, to the candidate. Mm-hmm. Right? Same thing with aerobatics. So it's like you want to have somebody who can not only tell you what it looked like from the ground, but how to make it look better. And that's what the great coaches do. And um, uh, I've had uh, I've had both and. Luckily, I, I'm at an experience level where if I don't have great crit, uh, great coaching, I can take the critique and go, okay, I know how to fix that. Mm-hmm. I can do that on my own. Well, speaking of looking from the ground, so I think you've kind of explained this to me just now, and it was a confusion of mine. So, so something between an aerobatic competition and an air show, like somebody performing in an air show may throw in, let's say, a falling leaf or something like that because they want it to look cool from the ground. They want to do something. They want to mix something in. It's not something you would do in a competition, but it is definitely something you could see in an air show, right? Yes. And I'm just going to roll it back a second. They're not just going to throw it in. No, I know. It's I, know be, I, I didn't think you were saying that. But part, yeah. of their, yes. part of their performance. It's so much a routine. It's a rehearsed. Right. But that is a the, transition, let's say, between a like you talking about high energy, low energy maneuver, right? Like th- that is a transition in a, in a competition. You'd go right from A to B. Yeah. But, but if somebody is designing an air show, they might say, I'm going to do a, I'm going to do B, but I'm going to throw a falling leaf in or something like that. Even if it requires me to then manage my energy in a way that I wouldn't want to in an aerobatic competition, they could, they could add that to their, um, to their performance for show. Yeah. And, um, it's not necessarily going to be, a falling a falling leaf i'm just bringing it making yeah. something up but yeah but uh rob holland does a great uh kind of a cobra he, he caps his his routine oh this is the whole 20 minute this is everything uh probably he was probably doing it 2015 as well um and the airplane basically parks in the sky all right so yeah there he is yep so he's he's in a spin. He has stopped the spin. He's parked at 35, 40 degrees nose up, and he's just hanging on a prop. And that would not be something you'd see in an aerobatic competition? No. Okay. You would see this in the four-minute freestyle, but the four-minute freestyle is only available to unlimited competitors uh, or advanced competitors with an air show waiver. Okay. Okay. And they use smoke in uh, in the four-minute freestyle. We're not allowed to use smoke in the competitions. Got it. Okay. For what we're doing. 
Yeah. And, and speaking of that, you had, you had said there was a level called standard. Um, so let's talk about that. Like how, how do routines uh, occur if you're in the standard category? Oh, uh, primary? Or sorry, I'm prim- primary. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, primary. <laughs> um, it might have actually used to be called standard for some reason. Um, <laughs> so there. So I did uh, that on purpose. <laughs> primary and sportsman categories. Uh, primary is not allowed to make a free. Sportsman can make a free. I'm pretty sure I'm right about that. Um, you don't have to make a free for those categories. Um, but same thing. You can put whatever you want in there. You have a max difficulty for the overall score. Uh, and I know a guy who in Sportsman, he owned an extra 300 and he had a tail slide in his freestyle. Okay. That ate up a lot of K, and it was a lot of fun, but there's not another sportsman pilot most likely going to attempt a tail slide uh, in their airplanes, and uh, and that's fine. But at a contest, you generally do three flights. The known, which is the qualifier for the free. The free is the one that you make and should be the best at. It highlights your skills and what you're good at. And then there's the unknown for intermediate, advanced, and unlimited, which is a sequence that you have never flown. You don't get the opportunity to fly it, and you receive it no less than 12 hours prior to going up for a competition flight. Oh, wow. Okay. And so what you're doing when you when you get an unknown uh, as a competitor, I will glance at it, but if I haven't flown my free yet, I don't do anything with it. After I fly my free, then I'll pull that sequence out and I will start marking it up and making plans and things like that because I don't want to be flying my free and then have something in my brain trigger that I saw on the unknown as I'm on a weird spot, high stress, can't read the card. And then I go do that element from the unknown that wasn't in my free Mm because I just got zero points. Mm -hmm. I just got a big, big point deduction. Um, So the same things that I write on my freestyle and my known – things like how to pull, which direction I'm going to roll, uh, all those same notes then go on to the unknown. And the key there is to also identify the boring sequences, the boring parts of the box where you're not under high workload or high mental stress, where you can then look at the card, read the card for what's next, and then make the plan and and go do it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, I've done a lot of marking up of cards and last year at nationals on the last unknown flight i was at the last figure and i was a long cross box to enter and i had this downtime and i looked at the sequence and i went okay i got a roll then a half loop up and do this and i was driving across the box and i was like okay roll and i did a full roll and it was supposed to be a half and i was like okay how am i how am i supposed to do this two point oh no and like zero Finish the figure out, you know, the scores are done. Like it's if the judges caught it, if they didn't catch it and they scored me, haha. But if they caught it, which they pretty obviously were, I made it obvious because I did the roll, long hesitation, and then the pull into the mm. loop. So like, yeah, they knew something was up. Yeah, I gave it away. But uh that's that's kind of the tactic there uh with the unknowns is you want to dance them as much as you can on the ground, mark up the card as much as you can to get you exactly what you need to do so you're not making decisions in the box. You want to make all those mm-hmm. decisions on the ground and then you just go up and much like the check ride from last episode, follow you execute plan. your plan. <laughs> right. You know, do that and make uh, the plan, follow the plan. Yeah, and if you if you've done it right uh, it's going to work out. It's going to mm-hmm. work out just just well. So, so what you're what you're saying, Rob, is there's not a situation where you go up into the box, you do it direct to the other side. Yeah, no. <laughs> well, actually, there is. Oh, so 
if I'm diving into the box, I have certain parameters. I want a certain amount of speed. I want a certain amount of altitude. So I'm doing my wing wag to announce to the judges that I'm beginning the routine. I pulled a level flight because all aerobatic sequences start and end level. Interesting. And if I'm not on speed and not on altitude for where I want to start, I just fly right through the box. Okay. Nice, easy climb out. Go back up. Restart. Dive back in. Wing wag. And there's no and penalty for that. Because you haven't wing wagged yet. I haven't. I, I wing wagged, but I didn't oh. start a figure. Oh, you didn't start a figure. Got it. Yep. Yep. So as soon as you start, you're on the hook. Got it. Yeah, we've we've talked about performance. We've talked about spectacle. Uh, you've kind of given me the difference between the the air show performance versus the the aerobatic competition performance, and we've talked about spectacle. Uh, what I'd like to understand is is safety. Safety uh, third. You just listed it third. Huh? <laughs> the joke is safety third when it's supposed oh, to be safety first. But it. it was the third thing you listed: spectacle and you know, <laughs> like like communicate, navigate, aviate. No, don't do that. <laughs> no, aviate, navigate, communicate. Uh, yeah, so safety. So when you're designing these performances or routines, um, what's the proper term when it's not an air show? Uh, competition. Competition. Uh, when you're designing these competitions, uh, you know how does safety factor into how you kind of go from A to B and what you're putting where? Uh, is it really just about low energy to high energy, high energy, low energy, and you're kind of doing things like that? Or, or are you factoring any, anything about safety into designing? That? Yeah, safety is, is always the number one concern when you're, when you're creating this stuff. And talking about the energy, um, we don't want to do certain elements that would be um, low energy to high energy starting with high energy because then you're going high energy to super high energy. For example, um, uh, altitude and airspeed are the two things we're concerned about. And a split S is a maneuver where you would half roll to inverted and then you would pull down in a half loop towards the earth. And that is a maneuver where you're going to be gaining energy the entire time while gaining airspeed, but losing altitude. And each of these maneuvers really has a trade-off just due to the laws of entropy in that you are never really finishing a maneuver at the same speed you started at the same altitude. So if you are coming out of a, a looping figure uh, where you would be returning to the same altitude, if you're on the same speed, you're going to be lower. We don't have enough horsepower to uh, let the airplane accelerator dig up into the vertical mm -hmm. and gain altitude in a lot of these maneuvers. So... Uh, one of the safety aspects we're looking at when we're designing sequences is not just their flow into each other, but how much altitude does this maneuver take? And so when I'm looking at an unknown, for example, I know that the bottom of my competition box may be for intermediate 1,200 feet. So I'm not allowed to go below that. All right. So maybe I want to end my unknown sequence in intermediate at 1,300 so the judges don't call me low. So now I look at the the last figure in the sequence and I go, okay, that, that figure is going to end at 1300 and it's a pull, pull Humpty. So it has a vertical up half loop on top, vertical down, and I'm going to lose some altitude in that. So 13 is where I want to finish. So I need to start it at 14. And the maneuver before that was a uh, reverse half Cuban. So I need to start that at 1500 and I'm going to end it at 14. And so I have the altitude that I need to get into the next one without flirting with the bottom of the box. And if I'm not flirting with the bottom of the box, I've got the safety margin built in by the governing body to the actual surface of the earth. 
And so I'm not doing anything that's going to put me low altitude. And I'm keeping in mind my uh, airspeed, so I'm not going to do anything that's going to hurt the airplane either. And uh, if we ever do have some kind of anomaly or failure in the aircraft, we are also required to be wearing parachutes. Mm -hmm. So if the airplane stops being an airplane and starts becoming a ballistic object, we still, as the squishy human part, have a last option to get out and use that parachute. Mm Mm-hmm. So safety is is definitely one that that, uh, permeates the sport. The rules that are uh, in our rule book are designed uh, uh, with safety in mind. And uh, because of that, we've not had a fatal accident at an IAC-sanctioned event. And it's all because of everybody working together uh, to enhance safety. And everybody there is a peer, is a uh, a brother, a sister in aerobatics. And we look out for each other. And some of the um, most honest conversations I've had to have or have had directed my way where, hey, that was a dumb thing you did. Don't do that dumb thing. You go, yeah, I did a dumb thing. <laughs> and then you learn from it. Mm-hmm. You know, hopefully you're around to have the conversation. Uh, and then the chief judge is always on the on the ground with a radio. If a competitor is about to do something silly, they get on the radio and say, knock it off, knock it off, break, break, break. Whatever gets them to stop doing that thing, get wings level, get their head on a swivel maybe get the airplane climbing away from from danger. So there's a lot of different elements of safety that are that are built into uh aerobatic competition that make this the com- a complete difference from just going out there and throwing the airplane around the sky. Makes sense. Um you know, I, I think because of of timing here we're going to we're going to skip the the listener questions for today, but I'm going to ask one more question related to this. Earlier you were talking about how there's an upwind and a downwind um you know area of the box. Uh, I assume that that is not predetermined ahead of the, 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 the day, right? So I assume on the day of the aerobatic competition, based on winds, that's kind of where you're figuring out, okay, where's the upwind, where's the downwind? It is a f- th- those, those headings are fluid, right? No, um, they're not. They are fixed. They they're are fixed, fixed to the box. So you are required to be on the either the x-axis or the y-axis of the box, and there's no heading wind correction allowed. Wind direction, when they publish aerobatic sequences, you get three forms. The A form, which is like the detailed of what each sequence, of what each figure is and its breakdown of components. The B form, which is wind from the judge's right to left. And the C form, which is wind from the judge's left to right. And there is no consideration for angle off of the X axis. So if the if there's an element of the wind, maybe it's maybe it's the wind is just on the Y, but there's a little bit on the X out of the judge's right to left. That's with the direction of the sequence for that day. Wind today will be from the judge's right to left. And it's up to you as the competitor to now place those figures. But the judges change where they're sitting. No. Oh, they don't. No, they don't. So they're always sitting in the same spot at the same airport for the same competition. So you can... Yes. No, oh, yes, but okay. no. Okay. So, so I'm, I'm thinking like, you at know... At the bit at national runways change at an airport based off of winds. Do yeah. the... Box direction can change uh, on wind, but yeah. only at nationals that I have been to are there multiple judges stations, whether it's on the east side, west side, or south side of the box. Okay. So at... at in Kansas, the wind is a very strong uh, element, and it, it they move the judges around uh, on the day at the time. Yeah. Mainly for the sun. Okay. So you'll start in the morning on the east side of the box, so you're not staring into the sun. And then in the afternoon, you'll move to the west side of the box, 
so you're not staring at the sun. And then if they have to, they will put you on the south side of the box if the wind is really favoring uh, from uh, from west to east. Okay, but I, I, let me rephrase this thing. That 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 doesn't happen at regional that contests. Ex- though. That explained most of my question, but let me let me rephrase it a different way. So, uh, when you're starting a competition, are you are you starting on the upwind or downwind first? Depends on the sequence design. So on okay, so let's say that you are starting on an upwind. Yeah. That day. So Adis is reporting that wind is out of the west. Yep. All of a sudden, two hours later, Adis is reporting that wind is out of the east. Zero nine zero instead of two seven zero. Are you physically flying into the wind, no matter what the direction is, when you're starting? No. So your your upwind could actually be crosswind or downwind, but it's still called upwind. And there's a caveat in the rule. So when they when they at the briefing they say the official wind direction will be from the judge's right to the judge's left, and then you go and fly. Uh-huh. And okay. if the conditions change throughout the day, they will stop the competition. They will stop the category. They will say, "Hey, the wind is now from the judge's left to the judge's right." adjust your stuff accordingly and then they'll go fly okay all right there's a provision in the rules for that okay okay uh but for the most part on a contest day the wind basically stays out of the same direction most all day yep that makes a lot of sense take us home Okay, well, thank you for joining us. You've squandered another perfectly 49. good hour. <laughs> 49, is it? Oh, this is episode 49. That's forgot. I forgot. Yeah. We didn't even mention it. We don't have to. Who's keeping track? 49. Next episode's 50. Yeah. It's only 40, taking us 42 years is the only here. most important one. 42 <laughs> is the most important one. It's If, <laughs> you, if you're uh, experiencing the loss of a friend, recently lost a couple friends myself, uh, Scott McDonald was, was going to be my teammate for uh, Jet One Cup, and we lost him and a client in an, ex, an extreme air crash. And... Uh, uh, thoughts and prayers for for him and his family, loved ones, and uh, you know, if you're struggling with any kind of loss or uh, any negative thoughts like that, check out episode 42. Definitely helps out uh, with uh, uh, with some of those some of those feelings and uh, processing emotions like that. Uh, other than that, this has been episode 49. Thank you very much for joining us. If you liked it, tell your friends. If you didn't, tell your enemies. We'll take their money too. Uh, I'm Rob. I'm Matt. Take care and. Fly safe. safe.